Proverbs chapter 30. Well, this is where we left off last time. And uh, in fact, we left off in verse 1. We just, uh, if I remember right, tacked that on to the end of our study in chapter number 29. But uh, I remember spending quite a bit of time in verse number 1. And ordinarily, I would just go on uh, to the next section because it, there's a new section begins in verse 2, 3, and 4 that we're going to cover tonight. But uh, in order to get the connection, uh, I, I think we need to do some review. I mean, I don't know about you, but uh, it's hard for me to do a, you know, a serious study of any kind if I got a big long break in between. And uh, so it helps me to put things together if I go back over it. Uh, the chapter began with these words, the words of Agar. And we mentioned the fact that we know, don't know a lot about him, but we know that he was holy. Because the Bible says, holy men of old, you know, spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so we know that he was holy. We know that he was moved, directed, motivated by the Spirit of God uh, to write these things. And, uh, you know, that alone, if we didn't know anything more about him whatsoever, that alone ought to cause us to give heed to whatever whatever he says, because it is as much a part of God's Word as, you know, James, Paul, Peter, uh, anybody else. And so it's important. And I I commented, you know, it reminded me of the fact that a person doesn't have to be famous or even, you know, extremely talented to be used of the Lord because this man was just an instrument in God's hands. And basically, that's the same with every one of us. We're just instruments in God's hands. It's not what we do, but rather, you know, it's what God does through us that, you know, makes the difference. We know that he was a, uh, we know that he was a teacher. He ministered to others. In fact, uh, I pointed out the fact that he mentions the name of two of his, two of his students. I, I don't know at that moment, might have been the only two he had. I have no idea, but he mentions the name of two that, uh, uh, that he was investing his life in teaching. And sometimes less is more when it comes to serious teaching. And uh, so it reminded us that it's crucial that the truth be transmitted from one generation to another. And I ended that section talking about the fact that we need to be both a student and a teacher. So the question is, what are you learning and what are you teaching? What are you learning and what are you teaching? Uh, you say, well, I'm not really learning anything. Well, you know, why not? You have the same Bible I've got, and we, you know, we all have the same amount of time in the day. I, I know that people got other activities and things that they have to attend to, but we should always be learning uh, throughout our life, and and we ought to always be teaching in some way or another. It might not be in the classroom setting. It might be. It might be in a coffee shop. It might be, you know, talking to your neighbor. It might be interacting with a relative or whatever. But we all should be passing on, transmitting the truth from one generation to another. Now, as we go through the rest of this chapter, it's divided up into several sections that deal with specific subjects. And it's kind of 
kind of chopped up in one sense and uh, uh, one of the things that you know that I've struggled with in going through this is trying to forcefully put them all together you know to where they uh, where the one would make sense with the other one and you know, some, sometimes we're not always able to see that, but the truth that's being uh, taught is the same regardless. But when it comes to this first verse, and here's a man who was a prophet, a holy man of God, speaking the Word of God, a teacher and a student, and uh, in, the, in the next three verses, he speaks about his pursuit after God. Now, I want to mention, beginning in verse 5 and 6, that's a different section, because in those two verses he speaks about the purity of God's Word. And and I hope tonight that you'll be able to see that there is a connection with all, all of this, going back to the fact that he is a prophet teaching the Word of God. But verses 2, 3, and 4 are very important in, in that it shows that here is a man in that position doing those things, and it talks about his pursuit after God. And he mentions two things, basically, here that we'll talk about. The first thing in verses 2 and 3 is that he admits his ignorance. Verse 2 says, Surely I am more brutish than any man and have not the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom nor have the knowledge of the holy. Now, you know, in this day, whenever, you know, so many people want to brag about their abilities and brag about their accomplishments, it's, you know, it's really refreshing to read about such a humble admission as this. That word brutish there means stupid. I, you know, I know it's not politically correct to use the word stupid, I guess, today, but some things are just plain stupid. And that, that's what he's saying here. He's saying, I am more stupid than any man. This, this is a confession of incompetence, but it's coming from someone that we think is very competent. Someone that is a holy man, some, someone that, you know, uh, well, maybe he's justified in sticking his thumbs in his lapels and sticking his chest out and strutting around and bragging about how great God has used him or something, and you don't see that at all. He considers himself to be as as ignorant as a brute beast of the field, so he's not trying to pass himself off as some kind of an expert. And to me, well, according to the Bible, that's always a sign of greatness. And, and by the way, whenever you go through the Bible and you look at those men that God used so greatly, you see that same sort of attitude of humility. You go back to Moses and you think about when God called Moses and gave him an assignment to do. His response was, who am I? I mean, what? You? It's kind of like you got the wrong guy. And so, you know, finally with a bit of arm twisting, I guess you might say, you know, he, he more or less said to God, well, okay, here, here am I, but send Aaron. You know, Aaron's better at that. He, he can do that, you see. So we see that attitude of humility in Moses. We see it 
when you go to the book of Job and you see it in Elihu, the, the one man that made sense, you know, among all of those friends of Job's, here was a man that really made sense and really was able to minister to Job in his time of need. The same thing can be said about David, that attitude of humility. The same thing could be said about Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, but I'm just a child, you know, who, who am I? You know, I mean, God, you know, basically said, you know, I've had, had plans for you from the womb. I mean, I, I've, I've intended for you to be my spokesman. And Jeremiah said, you know, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just a child. I'm not able to do that. Daniel, Paul, all of those men had basically the same attitude, and it reminds us, or should, that pride is a horrible sin. It's a sin that God hates. And so, even in this alone, here is a man that, that, as you look at this, is pursuing God, as will become clear, I think, later, and he has this attitude of humility that I'm as dumb as a rock. I, I don't know any more than the brute beast of the field. He certainly wasn't a know-it-all. And if he's going to be a good student, he couldn't be a know-it-all because know-it-alls never learn anything, you know. The Bible tells us that honor or humility comes before honor. And, and if we want to get wisdom and understanding, which is basically what all of the book of Proverbs here is about, then it requires humility on our part. I mean, that is the very path to wisdom. And whenever Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 4, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore he said, get wisdom. So wisdom is the principal thing, but the key to getting the principal thing is humility. You know, we've got to be, we've got to be willing to acknowledge what we don't know if we're going to learn anything. And if we think too highly of ourselves, you know, well, we're not going to get anywhere. And that's why in this day and age where, you know, there's certain catchphrases that people use all the time about what you need is you need more self-esteem. You know, in one sense, I kind of know what they mean, but you can almost tell that they resent it whenever you make a statement like you need to get rid of your self-esteem, your self-confidence, your self-love, and all of those things. You know, we value ourselves far too highly. Now, I know somebody says, oh, well, but don't you think we are of value? We are of value only in the context of God and our relationship with Jesus Christ. In and of ourselves, we are nothing. We can do nothing. We deserve nothing. And until we learn that lesson... Till we get to the point that we're willing to devalue our opinions and we're, we're willing to stop insisting on getting our way, we're never going to gain the wisdom that God has for us. And so we can't lean on our own understanding, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know. Uh, and that, that's, that's what we do so many times. We lean on our own understanding, depend upon our own ability rather than putting our faith in the Lord and allowing Him to direct our steps. Uh, I, I guess, the, you know, the question is, okay, well, all right, that all sounds good, and it all certainly all comes, you know, from the Bible, this matter of humility uh, coming before honor and humility being the key to us gaining wisdom. But 
but how how do we do it? You know, it, it's really hard to teach a proud person anything. I, I mean, so how does a proud person, recognizing that I've got a real problem with pride, what do they do? Well, the more we learn about God, the more we lean on God. And the less we think about ourselves, the less we think about our abilities. So it's, it's going back to regardless of whether the problem in our life is pride or covetousness or whatever it is. The solution to that is the same in every instance. And that's going back to Hebrews 12 too, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, you see. It's getting our focus on Him because we can't focus on Him without it changing us. It changes the way we think about ourselves, it changes the way we think about others. It thinks of, changes the way we treat others and so on and so forth. So this is the first thing that he does here is to, uh, is to uh, recognize the fact that he doesn't know it all. Secondly, in verse number four, he acknowledged God's greatness. And, and I, you know, I just finished up my remarks talking about, you know, uh, looking to God more, leaning on God more, trusting God more. And, um, and notice what he says in verse number four. And this is really kind of tricky, and I, 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 I hope I can explain it in a way that will make sense to you. He says, Who hath ascended up into heaven, or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fist? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name if thou canst tell? Now remember, he just confessed his ignorance. And so now he is contemplating the greatness of God. And he asks seven questions here. Seven questions that, that man is incapable of understanding. And simply letting us know that human effort, uh, our our own ability, is not going to enable us to 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 learn to know the ways and the wisdom of God. We need more than that. We're going to need divine revelation, and that's why I mentioned verse five a while ago that we'll get to, Lord willing, next week. We'll talk about that. And that's where the connection is. And that's why, that's why he is a teacher is trying to approach this subject in a way to let them know, fellas, look, we don't understand God. He, he just, I'm glad he's spoken the first person whenever he, he didn't call them a bunch of stupid idiots that didn't know anything. He, he said that's the way he was. Well, you know, they knew sitting at his feet and listening to him. They knew if our teacher is that way, we surely are. So, I, you know, I don't think they had any problem in getting that message whatsoever. But he just wants them to understand that there are things that are too deep, too mysterious, that we cannot understand the ways of God. We must have a revelation from God. And, and folks, whether we take the microscope and examine, you know, the little things of the world, or whether we take the telescope and look out yonder in space and, you know, we see the those dark voids out there, the black holes, and we look at the wonder of creation and all of that. 
we can acquaint ourselves with all of the scientific theories based on our observations from those things, but it's all in vain when it comes to really gaining wisdom without God's inspired Word, you see. That's our only sure defense when it comes to understanding God. Uh, Romans chapter number 11, and, and Paul spoke about this, and, and of course he was speaking in, in regards to a different subject, but the, the point is exactly the same here in chapter number 11. And let me see, about verse 33, uh, he says, Oh, the depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been His counselor, or who hath first given to Him, and it shall, not, and it shall be recompensed unto Him again? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom is glory forever. Amen. So he just, Paul agreeing with what Agur is saying here. We can't possibly understand God. Now, there may be somebody, uh, somebody sitting here right now and you're, you're waiting for me to answer some of these seven questions here. You know, okay, there's seven questions before us. What's the answer? Well, you're missing the point. These are rhetorical questions designed to make us think. You, you, you know, whenever you first read this, and, and, and basically I did the same thing years ago whenever I studied for the first, for the first time, I thought, okay, this, 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 this is about, about God. And it relates to God in the sense that these are things that God can do and things that God did. But the real emphasis here has to do with man and what man can't do. That's what he's trying to get them to see. You're not God, you know. You can't do these things. Man doesn't have the ability to create, to control, or even to comprehend creation. So let's, let's look at these questions again, and we don't need much comment, but just notice each question. Who hath ascended up into heaven? I don't, I, I don't, I've never met anybody that did that. Or descended. Now remember, these, these questions are being presented to his students here, and having to do with what man can't or what man can't do. Well, the answer is obvious to that. Nobody. And then he says, Who hath gathered the wind in his fist? That's, that's interesting because Job, when Elihu was, was trying to instruct Job in Job chapter number 37, there's a whole list of questions and comments about what God can do and what man can't do. And, and so there we see nearly exactly the same argument proving man's inability. And, you know, Jesus really summed it all up, didn't he? Uh, there in John chapter number 15, he said, without me you can do nothing. We, we couldn't take our next breath of air without him. We, we can't do anything without him and and so we are totally dependent upon him 
And, and that's the point that every person needs to get to in their life, that without the Lord, I can't, I can't do anything. And then so, he says, who gathered the wind in his fist? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Well, boy, you know, whenever you think about, what do they call it, hydro, hydro, hydrology, the, you know, the system of the water, you know, and the uh, evaporation of it and so forth. It's just mind-boggling to think. Think about all the water that fell here today and all that water was up there over our heads all of this time, you know. And uh, who has bound the waters in a garment? I mean, God just got got it all up there. I mean, but who uh, who among man can do that? Now, I know many years ago, uh, there was a lot of effort and a lot of talk about man being able to produce rain. Well, you know, the Indians, the native Indians had their rain dances and hoping to bring rain. I, you know, I don't know that that ever worked. But we got the idea that we'd seed the clouds and, uh, so they'd fly up there in airplanes and what have you and, and uh, put chemicals, I don't know what it was, uh, in the clouds, and that's supposed to, you know, produce rain. Well, you know, even even if that worked in a little rain shire somewhere, and I don't know that it ever did, but we're talking we're talking about the the waters of the earth and what have you, and, and who is able to control the weather and the rain? Well, nobody is. Well, he says, who has established all of the ends of the earth? In other words, does any man have the, the wisdom, does he have the power to establish, that is to lay the foundation and to construct the earth? Of course not. Well, we build these magnificent buildings and, and ah, we built the Astrodome here some years ago and boy, we look at something that, you know, that we made and we think, wow, that, that's really something. And in reality, that's nothing compared to the creation that God made here on the earth. And that's what he's saying here. Who's able to do that? Well, no man is. And then he says, then he says, what is his name? You know, that's, that's, it hits me like this. It's kind of like he's saying, if you know a man who has or could do these things, what's his name? I want to meet that guy. You know, that's my take on it anyway. What's his name if there's someone that could do all of this? And notice, and what is his son's name if thou canst tell? In other words, if such a man exists, his son would sure know about it. And so what's his name? You know, he would know what daddy did or what daddy could do. And so I, I want to look him up in the phone book. You know, I want to, I want to find out where he lives. I want to do some investigation. I want to, I want to meet that man. All of these seven questions are all des- designed to humble us before God and let us know we can't do what God does. And as we focus on the greatness of God, it changes the way we think about Everything else, as Charles Bridge, you said, the near our the near our contemplation of God, the greater our communion with God, and and that's certainly true. 
we become like him as we focus on him, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 18. And, and you have to be amazed at the audacity of people who think, who think that they can either understand or explain everything. You know, with all of the mysteries associated with God, you know, there are some folks it's just like, you know, well, I can, I can figure that out. You know, it's kind of like a Rubik's Cube. Let me have and play with it long enough and I can figure it out, you know. But the fact is, none of us can really comprehend God. Here's the point, and, and this is all going to come to a close here in just a minute. But here's the whole point. This is what it all boils down to. And that's the fact that we only know as much about God as what God chooses to reveal. And he does that through his word. And that's why when we get to this next verse, in verse number 5, he talks about the purity of God's word. This is our way of being in touch with God and our way, because we can't understand God fully, right? But this is our way that even though we can't understand God fully, we can his, enjoy His fellowship and enjoy His benefits, you see, of having a relationship with Him, even though we can't understand Him. You know, He's not completely knowable, but He's knowable. We can have a relationship. Uh, you know, to me, Agar, as he's teaching these guys this, is trying to help them to see that we can't understand God in and of ourselves. We can't do anything. We have to depend upon the Word that God has revealed to us. And the, and, and the point is, we can't speculate beyond that. And, and it's speculation that gets us in so much trouble. Assumptions and speculation. We don't have the facts, but we couldn't be wrong because we're so smart. We got it all figured out, you know. And so we jump to conclusions. We're making assumptions, and and um, so many times we, you know, we just speculate. But well, this, this, it's got got to be this way. Well, there's been more than one person made a fool out of themselves trying to speculate. I, uh, we can't depend on that, folks. You know, I always hesitate to say anything negative about preachers, but there's some things that that need to be said, and it's certainly not true of all preachers. In fact, it, you know, but there's at least more than a few preachers that I've known over the years that that in at least some of their sermons got beyond preaching the Word of God to speculation. You you can't believe it, especially when you get into this thing and it's real bad, it seems like, in the deep south, where preachers pride themselves on finding something that nobody ever heard before, something no other preacher knows, and you're, you're going to hear something in this sermon you've never heard before. And what they generally will do is take something and make a type out of it. Now, there are shadows and types in the Bible. There's no doubt about that. You know, uh, God intended for it to be that way. But that, that doesn't mean that we can just take a subject and make a type out of it. And it's kind of like a sermon I heard many years ago by somebody I really loved and respected about Christianity being like baseball. 
you know, and boy, I mean, he went through all of the details where you got to get to first base and that's salvation and you, you, but, and on and on and on and on. And let me tell you, that's not preaching the word. It's nothing, that's not even a good illustration, by the way. But preachers aren't the only ones guilty of that because so many people speculate on what they feel, what they think that the Bible is teaching instead of, instead of letting the Bible interpret itself. Man can't ascend up into heaven to get wisdom. You can't descend from heaven to bring wisdom down to others. The good news is Christ made it available. You know, and so we don't have to ascend up into heaven. We don't have to go up there and get a wagon load of it and bring it down for everybody else because, you know, he, whenever he came into the world, it says he made all things by his power, that he created all things by him. All things consist. And it was by the word of his power. And then Paul tells us in him, in him are hid all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. They're all wrapped up in the person of Christ. And so that's the one thing I hope that every one of us takes away tonight. And when we get to this next verse here in verse number 5 where he deals with the purity of God's Word, uh, hopefully that will be the, the cement that kind of glues all, all of these thoughts together. Because I think that's where Agar is trying to go with this. His fellows... We can't understand God. We don't, we don't have enough sense to know how we all live. We can't speculate on it because we're going to get ourselves in trouble. And, uh, so we must depend on God's revelation. And thank God we have a revelation from the Lord. Now, we don't have to, we don't have to, you know, call up the experts or sit around and wonder if this is right or go read the best seller from some Christian author. We've got it all right here in God's Word. And He tells us as much and no more than we need to know. You know, I, I, I love to study prophecy as much as anybody else. But there comes a time whenever we have to realize, you know, that, that we, I don't care how hard you try, you'll never be able to understand everything about prophecy because he didn't give he didn't give you the whole playbook. He didn't he didn't tell us everything. He told us just as much as what we need to know. And you know, that that'll be good enough for us. So we'll talk about the purity of God's word, Lord willing, next week. All right. Anybody uh, 